We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Weather back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet, put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento Kings. Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me today, Mr. Brendan Nunes. From the King's Pulse podcast. What's going on, Brandon? Not all too much, James. Been watching a lot of Euro basket and it's scratching my itch for some basketball. So it's been a good time. And there's a lot of Kings related players, actually. Oh, so a lot I've of been King- enjoying that. All right. A lot of Kings related players. Well, I mean, it, it's uh, the dog days of summer. And so here we are in this this point where, you know, there there isn't a ton going on. But, uh, it's good to see Domas out there, isn't it? It's good to see Alex Lynn. It's good to see these guys going out there and fighting and, and competing and being part of something big um, for their country. And I think it's fun, man. Like during this time of the year, usually we're we're scraping for content, um, and that's just the way it goes. I mean, we're getting ready for uh, training camp, which will start later this month. I think uh media day is september i think 26th and that means training camp starts the next day on the 27th um so things will be rolling here very quickly but until then like having your players like domas playing and getting to see man is it just me does he look like he's in spectacular shape it's hard to tell you know i i think you were the one that pointed out on one of these previous episodes is that often people will yeah, it's easy to feel like that, right? That people are in better shape or put on weight or lost weight. And it's hard to tell. I haven't seen these guys for a little while. So I know you're definitely not the only one that said that Domas looks like he's in really good shape. It's hard for me to tell. I think there's even things of like somebody pointed out there's different camera lenses and stuff like this that could affect the way these guys are looking. I don't know. I'm probably overthinking this. <laughs> um, but no, he certainly looks like he's in good shape. I, I've always thought he's in pretty good shape, but it definitely looks that way, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he looks good. I mean, that's that's what you hope for. Um, especially, I think, playing with Valanchunas, um, you kind of get the the like size difference. Like, Valanchunas is a huge man. And 
Sabonis is a big tough guy too, but he's not nearly as as just like like just sheer volume size of the guy. He's he's definitely uh, he looks trim to me. That's what Sabonis looks like. He's in like great physical condition. He took a couple of threes in the last uh, in the last couple of games, right? And we're starting to see that range and sort of the the arc on a shot and everything looks really smooth. Um, just how how do you look at how do you assess his uh, his game so far? Yeah, when it comes to the threes, he went two of seven in these five games. He thought he shot three in today's elimination game. Uh, that they played that was do or die against Yosef Nurkic. Um, and none of those went down. So he ended up going two of seven. I guess the, the shot looks okay. I, I still think that there's moments where he is passing it up for a different opportunity or kind of like hot potatoing at the end of the shot clock and he probably should throw it up. But I, I think more often than not, uh, Domas would rather get to the paint than take a jumper. And I think that's very understandable. I, I think that the big thing for Lithuania and Sabonis specifically is just there's a vast difference when they're playing through them and when they're not. Like, he really should be an offensive hub. And I think that's also going to be the case in Sacramento. Um, sure, there's other options, but he benefits so much from playing alongside smart players and being that offensive hub while guys are cutting and making short roll reads and there was so much specifically today of getting him the ball on the right block and then just letting him go to work there um, so he can get to his left hand and nice finishes around the rim so I think offensively it's everything that you would want from him nice touch around the rim he's averaged through these five games and again these are only 40 minute totals uh, just under 28 minutes 12 points 5.8 rebounds. The rebound numbers aren't going to sound phenomenal because he's playing alongside Valanciunas and Domas would be the four in that pairing. Uh, 2.8 assists as well. And like I mentioned, two of seven from three, but also 52% from the field. So he's been very efficient from the field overall. Uh, got to the foul line a lot in today's game. I think there were three possessions in a row where he, they got him the ball on that right block and then he got to the foul line. So I think everything you would want from him offensively um, if anything, the times where he wasn't great in those first three games, I kind of point more towards tough context with the rest of his teammates. Yeah, it's interesting. Like the Eurobasket game is so different because you, once the ball hits the rim, you can swipe it off the rim. Um, so it does play into like if you've got true seven footers, they really do pack the paint. They stand around the rim um, because, you know, you can you basically you can goaltend. Uh, there's all kinds of weird weirdness that goes on in the in the Eurobasket game, um, but uh, I think playing alongside a big guy like this is probably it's probably a good thing. We talked about this earlier uh, about him and Rashawn Holmes playing together this coming season, and that the potential for him to get some burn with a with another center, albeit a very different type of center in uh, in Valanciunas, um, it, it's just different. It it feels different when you're watching it um and I, I think it's good that we're we're getting to see him like kind of stretch his legs every time I watch I'm thinking they just don't know how to use him his teammates don't know how to play off of him his teammates like clearly have not figured it out or maybe they are now they're starting to uh but you know that's what happens when a guy pops in from overseas who hasn't played with the national team like in all the other smaller tournaments and then all of a sudden he's with you and he's better than everybody else and guys really struggle to kind of find you know find their place when uh you know you drop in a center of the universe player like Sabonis and 
I don't think that will be an issue in Sacramento. And I think that we're kind of getting to see, uh, you know, how a team adjusts quickly and whether they, they can adjust quickly. And I think NBA players adjust a little a little quicker because they, they're used to playing with different players. They're used to, uh, you know, more like sort of player movement, trades, stuff like that, where like star-level players move teams or, you know, major minute players move teams quite often. And uh, I, I think it'll be... It'll be good for him to at least come in healthy and strong and feeling good. And, uh, you know, depends on how far they go in the tournament when he'll be back. But uh, it seems like this is this is probably a good thing for the Sacramento Kings. Yeah, now they go into a round of 16 that my understanding is single elimination from here on out. Um, and they got out of what I think was considered kind of the group of death that they yeah. were sitting in and, and barely snuck through, played some phenomenal teams in Slovenia, um, France, also Germany. They went to double overtime against Germany, and Domas ended up fouling out of that game, actually. Um, so I, I think that for sure context has been tough. And like you're saying, dropping in a guy like Domas, who is the best player on the team, should be the offensive hub. I think some guys maybe were feeling themselves, I guess you could say, a little bit more than maybe I would have liked. Like there's a young point guard on their team who I think the Knicks have the draft rights to, um, who just did, had a poor job getting these entry passes to Domas and maybe doing too much. There was one shooter who he, he can shoot amazingly, but giving me a whole lot of buddy healed PTSD uh, with all these, my bads going on in all of these games, not just Lithuania. There's just a lack of like chemistry, right? These teams haven't played very much together. They're so often that it looks like guys are on different pages and not sure what sets are supposed to be run. So context is going to be really tough for all of these guys, but I think Domas did a pretty good job of, overcoming that and yeah, getting out of what was a pretty tough group. So it'll be interesting to see how they progress from here. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're Lithuania, you're lucky you made it out of the group, but at the same time, you also, uh, every game was super close. Like that's what it felt like every game, you know, you talked about the double overtime game, but uh, like all of the other games, you know, even against Slovenia, it was close until the last couple of minutes seems like every time they take Sabonis off the court, that whole thing comes undone. Like, and they take him off at the end of the game. I'm like, what is happening here? It's like four minutes left, and they just take him off. And I think it's because they're a little worried about running two bigs. I don't know. It doesn't. There's a lot of stuff that goes on that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's kind of the point, though. You're playing with a bunch of people that you're not comfortable with and who don't know your game and don't know how to run play sets for you and – and again, I think what we're seeing now is that, like, by game five, they look a lot better. They look like they're starting to kind of figure it out a little bit. Uh, yeah. Anyway, it, it's been fun to watch. So, um, okay, well, so we'll get to the business stuff here. Uh, thanks for tuning in to the Kingspeed Podcast. Uh, again, I'm James Ham, Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. Uh, Brennan Nunes from the Kings Pulse Podcast and the Kings Herald. Um, no Sean Cunningham today. He actually... Uh, took a trip to Florida and is in Orlando. I, b I believe he's in Orlando for he the... He could be partying in Miami. Yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me. There we go. He could be trying to save Paris Hilton again in <laughs> someplace in Miami, Florida. Uh, yeah. Um, he's out there for the Sac Republic game, which has turned into like some weird... Like, like it, there's total weirdness where like the Orlando team sent some staffer to go cheat and like record their practice and was you know recording taking pictures and video and sending stuff and 
wouldn't leave when he was asked to, even though it was a closed practice. It was a closed practice, but I guess they had to practice at a park somewhere. Um, yeah, there's some uh, nefarious stuff going on out there that, um, you know, the, the soccer gods have to, like, kind of frown upon at this point. Like, you, you don't do stuff like that for a championship game, especially against like a, a lower level team. Um, pretty, pretty wild stuff. Uh, there's, there's a Bill Belichick Patriots joke somewhere in here. Yeah. It's like, it's worse than deflate gate. Right. So, um, we, there was another one though. Like, was it the Patriots that did that as well where they were recording or was it, I believe it was recording other teams practices. Yeah. Yeah. Like when they allowed them into their own stadium for like the, the walkthrough two days before or whatever they were recording stuff. Yeah. So this is kind of weird. Um, but I'm, I'm glad Sean's out there. Uh, I, I, you know, the Republic are, are awesome. Uh, they, you know, they've advanced all the way to the finals here. It's really spectacular and, you know, nothing but well wishes for, uh, Kevin Nagel and his group. Um, you know, just absolutely stunning what they've been able to accomplish and uh, secondly, I think it's really good that Sean is not in Sacramento because I don't know about you guys, but this is miserable. Like um, my watch right now says 99. There's no way it's 99. Um, I, yesterday, what it hit 115 in Sacramento. Like I think it's the hottest day ever. Uh, and now up here where I'm at in my neck of the woods, the smoke rolled in. So I don't know where the fire was last night, but now we're dealing with like this weird yellowy like sky all around us and it's you can taste it like we had a window that was cracked open and all of a sudden room started smell uh, smelling of smoke everywhere and we had to go you know jam a window closed um uh, yeah it's just kind of weird and so everybody out there stay uh stay cool um one of my son's friends who's been staying with us i know he went to work yesterday in the heat from like seven to three he got home to our house fell asleep on the couch at four i had to wake him up at eleven thirty uh to make sure he had dinner and drank some water and then in the middle of the night he got sick and clearly had heat exhaustion um so so be safe out there people it's this is no joke this is crazy um i don't know about this whole flexing your power thing uh, brendan you can shut your ac off <laughs> apparently apparently i don't know what is going on yeah it's uh definitely been been hot out here and it seems like a lot of california is dealing with this and who knows how much cooler it even really is where where sean is in orlando but i can't imagine it's any worse than it is here so yeah definitely yeah. been used to it yeah shout out to the to De'Aaron fox who asked everybody if he should go to cal expo like on sunday like no man stay inside <laughs> and everybody no. advised against it no no that's not worth it don't don't leave your house uh just have a pool put in De'Aaron. Just have a pool put in. If there isn't already one there, which I'm assuming there probably is, just go swim in your own pool. There's no reason to go out in this heat. Um, yeah, okay, so uh, we're we're going to talk about a handful of things today, but, uh, you know, we'll start, we started with Eurobasket. Um, you know, I'm hoping Sean has a great time out there in Orlando and, you know, well wishes. Uh, but, uh, you know, the show must go on and we'll have him back next week. Uh, and we're going to start cranking back up to two pods a week. Um, probably next week, because um, maybe maybe the week after. I don't, I don't know. We're getting closer to the start of camp. Uh, there's little bits of news here and there, but nothing that's like you know going crazy. Uh, I, I think the one thing uh, Brendan's been watching all this EuroBasket. I, I've watched some EuroBasket. 
Um, I did have my fantasy football draft this weekend. And actually, Brennan came up and hang out on the boat this weekend. So One of the two. Yeah, it's three, Brendan. We have three. Sorry, but sorry. but that's okay. That's okay. Um, yeah. So Brendan came out uh, pretty pretty cool up here, Brendan. It was. It was very relaxing. You know, I just came up and got all the tea about the Sacramento Kings, obviously, and a whole lot of insider conversations, and it's obviously just what took place the entire time. That's right. Nothing but. Yeah. yeah. Just just float in the in the lake. That's what we do up here. That's how we roll. Uh, you get a noodle and you just sit on a noodle and hang out and float on the lake for as long as humanly possible, uh, especially in this weather. Um, That's yes. not an over-exaggeration. You were floating longer than anybody else out there, just living in the water. Yeah, I probably floated for like, I don't know, probably five or six hours. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it, it was a good float day. Um, yeah, you come back and, you know, you look like a big r- raisin. Uh, yeah, I felt that. I'm like, hey, I'm kind of a little odd. Uh, yeah, that, and then if you sit on the water for too long, especially on a day where there's uh, boats on the like speedboats running around on the lake, um, then you have trouble like w- like kind of getting your sea legs later on. That's never fun. So, um, yeah, I hope I have that problem one day, James. There we go. There we <laughs> go. Uh, all right. So, uh, in addition to watching. Uh, Domas in Eurobasket, uh, and some Alex Lynn. I mean, Alex Lynn has been, you know, he's perfectly, he's done perfectly fine for the Ukraine. It's good to see him out there actually getting some run. Um, but, uh, Sasha Vazenkov, 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 we're, we're still not sure how to say it fully because now we have Eurobasket announcers saying it differently than what we've heard. Um, but what have your impressions been? Because he's been damn good. He has been phenomenal. Um, this guy is really freaking good on offense. He's more entertaining to watch than these Domas games, to be honest. Um, and to be fair, the Bulgaria group is a lot worse than the group that uh, Domas is is dealing with. But Vezenkov is is the enunciation I'm going to stick with until I get educated. Otherwise, I don't exactly trust these Euro Basket announcers. Um, no, they're yeah. not to be trusted. No, don't think so. But through think- five games... Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. I, I was going to say, I think everyone on on Sabonis' team literally sounds like gingivitis. Like, the, every time they say a name, I'm thinking, oh, I got to go brush my teeth. Yeah. Like, you got Gregonis, the gingivitis. Uh, Gregonis, Yokobitis. Uh, yep. Yeah. That's yeah. a sexually transmitted disease. <laughs> <laughs> it is it what it be. is. Yeah, there's multiple <laughs> yeah. forms. Yeah, it's tough one. It's tough one. Yeah. <laughs> Bezenkov, meanwhile, yeah, five, five games that he's played with Bulgaria has been putting up numbers. He's by far the star of this team and, you know, was a star in the EuroLeague as well, headed into it, was a candidate for the MVP and then was also a star, a, what did win the MVP in the Greek league that he was a part of prior to all this. Um, but through the five games that he played with Bulgaria, 26.8 points, 12.2 rebounds, and that's on 49% from the field, 40% from three on eight attempts a game, 2.2 assists, 92% from the free throw line, James. This guy is really good at basketball. And we got some Mike uh, Mike Brown quotes pretty much saying that, and I'm paraphrasing here, that you see how he fits on offense. It's positionless basketball. He does a little bit of everything. It's about who can guard out there. And I don't know the answer to that question, to be honest, but I think you see offensively right away how he's just a star. He can shoot the heck out of the ball. 
and the gravity that he has, he does a good job attacking closeouts from there and making the right reads. Um, he is just phenomenal on the offensive end. It's actually shocked me, and he's playing 37 of the 40 minutes and he's hustling his ass off the entire time on both ends of the floor. He, he has really short strides. So him hustling looks even more like hustle than I think most people would um, just because there's a lot of leg movement going on there. Um, but I, I think that that's really impressive when you're playing the amount of minutes that he is again, 37 of the 40 and still be hustling to that extent and doing little things like getting boards. So I, I've been really, really impressed with Vezinkov on the offense end. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to make the bold proclamation here. He's he's played himself into a position where he might be like the MVP of the EuroLeague. Like he he's taken a huge step up in his game and he did it last year and we're starting to see where he's, you know, he could do it again. Uh he did win like a like an MVP of one of the smaller leagues that they were in. Um but my point is that I don't think he's going to come over to to play in Sacramento like I'll I'll just you know if things continue the way they're can they're going for him and uh and his team there bumps up his salary why would you leave a situation where you're the best of the best and everyone knows you and you're like you know adored and then go be a backup behind Keegan Murray in Sacramento like I think that there's going to be some issues getting him over here unless the Kings you know, throw four, six, eight million dollars at him a year and, and try to bring him over. And is that worth it? And that's what the Kings are going to have to balance out here. The only way that I could think of it making sense for him, because like you're saying, he's a star over there. He's only 27 years old, mm-hmm. is him believing that, say, he comes over for just to throw it out there, like the biannual next year, that that money maybe isn't that different than what he's able to make in Europe, right? But I think where the difference could come in is if he played extremely well and then became a starter in the NBA, his next contract after that could be an eight-figure deal. And it's like, could that be a motivator? But you're looking a little bit far down the line, and that's just me trying to think of a possibility of how he would be motivated because I agree with you. I I think that his situation that he's currently got going on in Europe, being a star of a team just to come over and be a backup. And honestly, I'm not even sure. I I think that he's probably would be better than a Trey Lyles or a Chemezi Metu, but I don't know for sure. Like, you know, we're also talking about EuroLeague MVPs like Miritich uh, in his old age or Shane Larkin won an MVP at some point. And those guys weren't great NBA contributors. Nemanja Bialica. Yes, who's to say that if Trey Lyles went over to the EuroLeague that he wouldn't look like Bezinkov? I don't know that I'd bet on that, but like, I think that that's a real question. So I, I think that maybe if Bezinkov wants to bet on himself and try to make big-time money after his initial contract with the Kings, that maybe that'd be a convincing factor, but it wouldn't surprise me if, if that was a tough sell. Yeah, the only thing that I, I think the Kings have going for them is that his buyout is really like minimal to get out of his contract and that uh, that they can pay for the, his buyout. But it's also that he signed like a three-year, 2.7-euro deal. It's 2.7-million-euro deal. Um, so he's only making like 900,000 uh, euros a, a year. And at, at one point, that was like, you know, it was almost two to one euro to dollar. Now the euro is right with the dollar, so it's really almost like, 
he's making less than league minimum or right around league minimum. And uh, I think it really will come down to, you know, if the Kings show a, a much bigger investment, we do know that they did something interesting when they signed Malik Monk is that they left part of the MLE um, where they could sign a league minimum contract, but up to four years of league minimum contract. And that goes up really quickly. So it's like a million, a million seven in year two, uh, you know, 2.2 in year three, point like four in year four. Uh, but that's still like, if you're looking at a guy who's making 2.7 million euro over three years and you're offering him a contract that's more like, you know, five or six uh, over three years, then it, it was kind of surprising that he turned, turned it down so quickly and he decided to stay because um, that really was the moment. And I guess if you're looking at the Kings roster and you're thinking, okay, well, you've got Metu and you've got Lyles. Well, Metu and Lyles would not, one of them wouldn't have made the team or you would have had to make some other roster adjust, adjustment if you were bringing over Sasha at this point. Um, it's just kind of a weird situation. Yeah. And I, I wonder, I'm surprised that the number was that low. I, I had assumed that it was a little bit higher. Not that that's anything to scoff at or anything. Still making close to a million a year is I far take from it. nothing. Yeah, absolutely. I would too. Um, but I wonder like how much endorsements have to do um like i wonder what sort of pay that looks like being a star over there compared to like a role player in the u.s I'm not exactly sure i'm gonna now go on and look for uh <laughs> sasha vezenkov olives and uh yes. maybe maybe some hummus some hummus um and, and i'm gonna f- see if i can figure out what kind of deals he's getting over there so, yeah yeah the Random little tangent, I guess, because you made me think of this. Lithuania's jerseys looks just like watermelons, and I've been trying to figure out, is there some correlation of, like, is Lithuania known for their watermelons? I don't know what's going on here. They have the red, yellow, and green as their national colors, so it all correlates with the watermelon. But I swear that they are watermelon-inspired, and if anybody knows why, or maybe I'm just crazy here— I'm very curious. I've been trying to figure this out. Okay, but you do know that, like, the tie-dye, when they're wearing their tie-dye shirts, what's going on there, right? I saw an article, and I've been meaning to get to it, but I haven't yet. Okay, so uh, back in the the mid-1990s, Lithuania was an up-and-coming team, but they didn't have enough money to pay for jerseys or anything. The national team didn't. And I believe that Bill Walton hooked them up with the Grateful Dead— and the Grateful Dead became a sponsor for Team Lithuania during the Sharunas Marshallonis years. And so they wore tie-dye. They wore tie-dye clothes all, all over the place. And that's, it's a throwback to that, that time when, um, you know, they were they might still be, like, associated loosely with the Grateful Dead. I'm not sure. I haven't done the research on it. But... Um, certainly that was like the beginning of the tie-dye era for them. Interesting. Yeah, and they're definitely still in, in full swing. Uh, makes, a, makes a lot of sense. These games for in, in the group stage for Lithuania have all been home games except the Germany game. They're playing in Cologne, so the Germany game uh, was probably a little bit favored in the other end, but the energy in these stadiums are phenomenal. I want to say it's like 18,000 people, and you know there's there's flags getting flown everywhere the energy in these stadiums has been has made it a really enjoyable watching experience on top of just good basketball 
Oh yeah, man. The Europeans, especially like the Baltic region, they they love their basketball. You know, all of that area there, you're gonna. They love their basketball. I know. Um, my former uh, partner at Cowbell Kingdom, John Santiago, actually went to. Uh, he he toured a bunch of the countries over there. He actually went to the Drazen Petrovich Museum. And Drazen Petrovich's mom, like, runs a museum or is there all the time. And he actually met her and talked to her. Um, and, yeah, it's just – it's crazy. They they absolutely love their basketball. Um, and, you know, I'm I, like, Sabonis is, you know, first of all, he's lineage, you know. His dad was such a great player and everything else. Um, but, uh, like, he's a household name in Europe. And I think it'll bring a – large fan base to Sacramento this coming year. It, it should be really interesting. Um, anyway, yeah, so Vezenkov, Vezenkov, uh, he looks good. Um, he's, a, you know, you kind of got like a older prospect. What is he, 26 going on 27? I think he's 27, yes. Yeah, 27, yeah. And so uh, maybe he does make his way over next year, but I'm going to guess that that's probably not going to happen. Um, anyway. Uh, okay, so, uh, Brandon, let's get to our Tuesday overreactions, even though it's Wednesday. Um, Tuesday overreactions, which is Sean's uh, least favorite part of the show. Um, but uh, we had some some weird news. It popped off uh, yesterday, day before, rumors of the Sacramento Kings being interested in Jordan Clarkson. And uh, I just like dove deep into uh the the shooting guard rotation and and how much depth the kings have at the shooting guard spot and now we hear this this sort of murmur that the kings are one of a handful of teams that had called on on uh jordan clarkson now i think i'll put like an asterisk by this i'm gonna guess this is old news i'm gonna guess that the Kings called on him, and they. I've heard that, like, well, maybe it happened around the time the Rudy Gobert trade happened, which means it happened, like, right around the start of free agency before the Kings signed Malik Monk. And uh, I don't know, like, what are your thoughts? Because I, I really like Jordan Clarkson as a player. The Kings have been linked to Jordan Clarkson multiple times over the last, like, five years. But it's kind of, like you kind of made your bed now you you got you went a different direction because clearly you got whatever you were offering wasn't enough is that kind of where you're at with this or you're like bring on jordan clarkson yeah i i know that there's some people that fall into like well the kings just aren't a very good team they should bring on as much talent as they can even though there is positional overlap i don't agree i i think that if you're having to give up an asset for someone i'd rather get a player that maybe fills more of a position of need. I think the two guard spot is the most clogged spot on the entire roster. And I don't really see Clarkson as like a three. Like, I guess you could pitch moving harder to the three. Um, I think that Herder's better covering guards than, than wings and bigger players. So it does feel repetitive after Malik Monk. I I think prior to the Malik Monk signing that Clarkson would have made a lot of sense, but I don't know. He can he can definitely score the ball. I don't think that he brings you much on the defensive end, but these microwave scorers, like I don't think Terrence Davis is somebody that I'm not picking up a player because of, but I also think that he factors in when it comes to like, am I willing up to give up an asset 
for Jordan Clarkson because Terrence Davis is also still on this roster. Like that's talking even after Malik Monk. Like, I don't know. Clarkson doesn't make the most sense to me. He's got one more year after this on a $14.2 million player option. Um, who knows what he'll end up doing with that, but it feels repetitive to me, James. Where are you at? Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same. Like, we can kind of break it down. I mean, we know the Fox is going to play like 33 to 35 minutes. He's played 35 minutes in each of the last two seasons. You know that Davion Mitchell is going to play 25 to 27 minutes. You're already like out of point guard minutes. So, I mean, that's what, 60 minutes at a minimum. Um, yeah, so, so I already have to steal 12 minutes from the shooting guard position. You get to the shooting guard position and, you know, we can start breaking down minutes for Herter and for Monk. Um, but I don't even know if there's room for Terrence Davis. And if there is room for Terrence Davis, there's not room for Kent Bazemore. Um, you know, Keon like, Ellis. Yeah, like Keon Ellis. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> you say that, but at the same time, like, when you have a player who comes into Summer League and shows that he's, like, an elite defensive prospect on the perimeter, and then he shoots 54% from three— you kind of go, okay, wait a sec, what are we doing here? Because maybe he's not, I mean, he's, what, 22, 23? Oh, no, no, 21 going on 22. Like, he's not, like, a super young prospect. He's a prospect that maybe could play if you needed him to. And uh, certainly, if it's not this year, it could be next year. And you, you don't need a bunch of extra players that kind of play the same position. And I get it. Like, I know Jeff Petrie... Like I wrote something about this years ago, um, searching for Bobby uh, for Bobby Jackson, because um, there's a movie called Searching for Bobby Fisher, who Bobby Fisher was a like a chess savant, a grandmaster at like age like twelve. Um, anyway, uh, the uh, the Bobby Jackson thing, like once Jeff Petrie found Bobby Jackson and kind of realized that this was an ingredient that was like sorely missing from the team. And he had tried different versions of that, like Vernon Maxwell, John Barry, um, you know, like Anthony Peeler. But realistically, when you found Bobby Jackson and you had this energy guy that does all this craziness and, um, you know, there's so many shots that he takes that you're like, oh no, what are you doing? And then it goes in, you're like, okay, I'm going to live with that because you're Bobby Jackson. Like, it's an energy burst. It's something that changes everything. And uh, I get it. You know, like later on, Petrie drafted Quincy Doobie, hoping that he would be that guy. We kept seeing him look for that player again and again and never really found him again. Um, when I look at Jordan Clarkson, I put him in that Bobby Jackson. You know, he might even be better than Bobby Jackson, uh, or at least he has a longer leash than Bobby Jackson to go out and score more points. And, uh, it's it's interesting because they those guys don't come along all the time. You know, you got Lou Williams, you got Jamal Crawford, um, you got Jordan Clarkson, and then like who else? And so I kind of feel like when the Kings made the trade for Herder and the signing of Malik Monk, the Monk signing was very specific. They were searching for the Bobby Jackson type player, the guy who can come off the bench without a conscience and just fire away and have free reign and score as many points as possible and give you an energy boost. And, you know, Monk is coming off a year where he started like 37 games for the Lakers, but those are like some of the few starts he's had in his career. And uh, so when I look at Clarkson, 
I think there was a point where Clarkson made a ton of sense for this team that just that point's gone that you know you've already passed that point you've already filled that uh, that spot and you can't go to Malik Monk and say look we're gonna trade you Um, I guess you could but you gotta wait till December 15th the problem that you have is that he's De'Aaron Fox's guy and so and you also went to Fox and sort of use that relationship a little bit to make sure you landed Monk so it's you're and guys in the league look down on that right like for you to sign some money and then trade them right away uh, i think is not exactly the best look yeah like it it's like money ball it's what the a's have done forever where they go and they sign a guy and they hope that he works out and then mid-season they go trade him for prospects of help their minor league system you know they did it with bethencourt this year like it, it's kind of what they do they try to look for like reclamation projects fix them put them out there like let them shine in a specific role and then trade them. It doesn't always work in the NBA. Plus, you know, the NBA has like these training wheels that they put on you um, where you can't like do something crazy, like go off a jump. Um, What you can do is wait until December 15th. And if things aren't working out, you can make a trade early in the season. Uh, But even that, you know, like I don't think the Kings are going to go trade Malik Monk or go trade, um, you know, a group of players. And then basically just put Malik Monk on, on the pine. Uh, And and also what's like Utah's intrigue in this, you know, I I imagine at this point that they're probably looking for draft assets. I'm not trading from Sacramento's point of view. I'm not trading a first round pick for, for Jordan Clarkson is Rashawn Holmes of that much interest to Utah. I wouldn't imagine. So I I think that there's a chance that as it approaches the deadline, or maybe as we get closer to the, uh, the actual training camp and, and start of the season that, a team that is a real lottery or a uh, real championship contending team, that's the sort of team that could be willing to give up a first round pick for Jordan Clarkson. I saw something floating around about like Milwaukee today. Like I think that sort of team makes sense to give up a first round pick or some draft capital when they're willing to, you know, go swap that for a guy that they think is going to improve their already good chances this year. Um, I, I think even from Utah's perspective, it's hard to figure out a deal with Sacramento right now. Yeah, I mean, look, the Kings have a a ton of second-round picks as well. I think they've got like three or four extra second-round picks over the next five drafts. Um, So I bring that up because like, I'm not sure you're going to be able to get a first. And I think if you're Utah getting two seconds for Jordan Clarkson or three seconds and a salary dump might actually be a good thing, especially if you are concerned at all that Clarkson might opt into his $14.2 million for next year. Now, he might not. And and even if you're the Kings, you could give up assets for him. But then what does that mean? Like, like does that mean that you're just going to ask Davion Mitchell to p- play, like, 18 minutes a game? Um, does it mean that you're going to ask Monk to play, like, really, really deep off the bench? Are you going to eat into all of the minutes at the small forward spot where – Harrison Barnes is playing and then shift Harrison Barnes to the four and eat into Keegan Murray's minutes and not play Trey uh, Lyles or Chemezi Metu at all. Like, like the impact of a deal like that would be pretty like catastrophic for what you're trying to build right now. It would be like dropping a gigantic bomb in what the Kings are doing now. That's why like, I, I still think the Kings could make a trade between now and the start of the season, and I also think that they could make a trade early in the season or by the trade deadline. But it would be more to address a long-term answer at the small forward spot where Harrison Barnes is entering the final year of his deal. And 
so yeah, I, I think it's going to be a little complex, but I, I'm thinking that the Kings are mentioned because uh, Danny Ainge wants to drum up value in Jordan Clarkson and uh, and potentially getting himself into like some sort of mystery bidding war with these teams that don't really exist. And at this point, the Kings are one of those teams that, you know, did kick the tires on him at one point. I'm sure they did because they've been interested in the past and different front offices, but also I think this front office had, had interest at one point. And there was a point where uh, we even read what was a one article um, where the Kings had a deal worked out with the Cavs to bring Jordan Clarkson in. And then Vivek needed to yeah. go. Well, this was the it story. Was the, yes. It was the Jason Anderson piece that was uh, kind of talking about Vivek meddling a little bit. And I think this yeah. is when Clarkson got traded to, I forget where he ended From up. Maybe it must've been From Utah. Utah. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he was, yeah, I believe expiring at the time. So it was a pretty cheap ask. And I think it was something about Yogi Ferrell being, it was not much from Sacramento's point of view that needed to be involved, but yeah, that was a reporting. Uh, that was Jason Anderson earlier this year. Yeah. And, and the reporting there was that, um, that Vivek needed to call a couple of other front office personnel and, and do his due diligence on Jordan Clarkson and whether the Kings could, should make that deal. And in the meantime, they found another deal and just went with it and said, whatever, we're not going to, we're not going to wait for you. That's, you can, you know, meddle all you want. We're, we're going to move on to the next team. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, the Kings have had interest in Jordan Clarkson in the past. I, it just doesn't really make any sense, right? No, if they're going to spend an asset, I would go get a wing or a forward, like, if you're talking Utah, I'm interested in Jared Vanderbilt uh, more than anybody else on that team has this year and one year left um, at about eight, nine, eight and a half million between those two years. He can't shoot, but he's genuinely a one of the better rim protectors in the league. Like I think defensively, he's a really good fit alongside Sabonis um, and his salary is a little bit easier. Could you I was trying to think up something yesterday. Could you? send Terrence Davis to a third team and a second round pick to Utah. And then the other team is also sending a second round pick. Like say it's Minnesota was something that I just cooked up trying to figure something out. And all of a sudden Utah's getting two first, two second round picks for Jared Vanderbilt and you're giving up Terrence Davis, like Vanderbilt or some other wings are definitely the guys that I would more so target. Yeah. I mean, if you're the Kings, even like going, his contract is what, like 2.6 million something like that. Like when you're below the cap, when you're below like that level of salary, you can swap guys out pretty, pretty easily. So I wouldn't he's, doubt he's that. got 4.3 this year, 4.6 next year. Oh, 4.3. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, again, you could pack package Shemezi Metu and, uh, and, um, Trey Lyles and actually get it done. You could send, uh, Alex Len to, mm -hmm. to Utah and get that deal done. So, it would just be on what is the compensation that they want. And uh, Danny Ainge might be in a market where he would take on two second-round picks, but that's kind of a, a player that, you know, he has limited ability to to expand on who he is as a player. And to be honest, it reminds me a little bit of, like, the Rashawn Holmes situation, just a younger version. And, you know, maybe a little bit better rebounder, but again, you're talking about a guy with, uh, like, some limitations to his game that are they're does it mesh with who you have on your bench already? And that would be kind of an issue. I, I, I would be intrigued by that to go get him. But at the same time, I don't really think the Kings have a need at the power forward spot for this season. 
And if we get back to the Sasha conversation, if he does come over next season, then you're lo- again looking at some some issues there. I, I guess if you looked at Vanderbilt as a center, I, I'm with you. Like, go ahead and get a young asset, um, but just don't give up too much. And I don't think two seconds is too much to give up, especially when the Kings, you know, just sold one second and traded another second for a for Vazenkov in in this last draft. Um, I don't think they value second round picks all that much. Does not seem like it. You know, there's going to be an endless extra second round pick because one of these second rounders is bound to get traded for two future seconds. And it's just an endless cycle, it seems. So, yeah. But I, I think point being to bring it full circle to the Clarkson conversation, said it a couple of times, but just where I'm at is like, it would take some sort of assets to get Clarkson. And I don't think that from Sacramento's point of view, they should be spending those assets to go and get another shooting guard instead of winger or forward. Yeah, that that does make a lot of sense to me. Um, and then just just so we're on the same page here, uh, Sacramento has a 2023 second round pick from Indiana, a 24 pick from Dallas, a 25 pick from Portland, a 28 pick from Dallas, um, and then of course they have their own first round going out, uh, which is you know the the heavy protected the one through 14 in 2024. 1 through 12 in 2025, 1 through 10 in 2026. Um, and then if it's not relayed, uh, then the Kings would have to convey its 2026 and 27 second round picks. Uh, but second round picks don't fall under the Stepien rule. And so they don't matter. You don't, It doesn't matter if you trade every year of second round picks. No one's going to uh, get on you for that. Um, but, but that means that as of right now, the Kings have and the next, the 23, 24, 25, like 25. Uh, So the next three drafts, I think they have a total of six second-round selections. And so um, that's where I think you can improve your team, especially if you run into a team like Utah that's looking for as many assets as possible. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Say this as uh, we're talking up Keon Ellis. I got a Jemias Ramsey cut out behind me. I still have faith in Robert Woodard. So second-rounders do have some sort of value but you definitely got a hit they're hit or miss um yeah and the kings miss i mean justin james kyle guy um jamias woodard yeah uh yeah uh what was the one dude they drafted with the last pick um i know who you're talking about but i don't know the name off the top of my head uh varange or something uh it i can't remember the his last name starts with an M and I don't think he even plays basketball anymore. <laughs> and, and he was drafted like two years ago. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe three years ago. Yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah. I, I think this, like, so, you know, again, I wrote for, uh, on Wednesday on the Kings beat, I wrote about, um, the, uh, the interesting stuff going on with the shooting guard position and, and sort, sort of how I see, that that might work itself out um what do you think just off the oh there we go uh vanya uh morinkov uh morinkovich uh 60th pick in the 2019 nba draft uh by the sacramento kings um yeah he's he'll come over eventually uh (laughs) yeah yeah he's now uh a you know 25 year old playing in serbia um i'm not even sure again that he still plays uh plays basketball at all um but yeah 
it's possible he's just a tall guy walking around the street. Um, yeah, tough. Uh, that's not exactly what you want to do with your second round picks. It's just squander them. Um, yeah, but uh, Brendan, like if you were to like just big picture right now, again, I, I think we're sort of in agreement on what's going to happen at the point guard position. That's going to bleed over into the shooting guard spot. So there's probably, probably only 36 minutes available at the shooting guard spot. You're probably going to need 16 to 20 minutes at the small forward spot for these these players that you have in the backcourt. Um, where are you at? If you were to say, number one, who's going to be your starting shooting guard to open cam- uh, to open the season? Easily you're Kevin Herter. You're projecting Kevin Herter. Okay. Yeah, it's really no question to me. Um, I see a lot of people that really believe in Malik Monk. I think Malik Monk is a great microwave spark plug player off the bench. I think that Kevin Herter is a lot better passer. I think he has the same sort of shooting ability, maybe not the same self-creation, but I don't know that you need self-creation from your starting two guard personally when you have Fox and Sabonis out there. I think it's more about complimenting those guys rather than going and getting your own bucket. Um, better passer. I think he's a much better defender. If you're just talking about the size difference, six, seven for Kevin Herter, I, I think is very intriguing. And he showed an ability to kind of guard a uh, point of attack initiators on, on opposing teams, like in the play in game that Atlanta played last year, he's the one that's guarding LaMelo ball. He's the one that's guarding Darius Garland. And I think that's intriguing. So you can give De'Aaron a little bit of a break when it comes to that end of the floor. So it, it's pretty easily Kevin Herter for me. Is that where you're at? Yeah, that's where I'm at. Where are you at? Uh, like, if you were to guess on Kevin Herter's minutes, what do you think he's going to play this year? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, I think that you're talking high. I, I think that there's a lot of twos is where this issue is, right? It's easy to throw out a high number and, and think that Herter should play a lot, but then it's like, okay, where does Damian fit? Where does Monk hit? Where does TD fit at all? I, I still think that you're seeing... 28 to 30 minutes for Herder, though. I think he's going to play a decent amount at the three. In my mind, kind of a first sub that makes a lot of sense because I think you see Fox, Herder, Barnes, Murray, Sabonis. I think from there you could put Monk in and take one of Barnes or Murray out and slide Herder down to the three. I almost kind of think of Herder as the backup three and the starting two in a weird way. Um, so I, I think that there's going to be a lot of minutes for Herder because he's one of those uh, more versatile players if you don't feel comfortable with an Akpala or a Bazemore or anything like that as, as your backup three. So I'm going to say like 30 minutes here. Yeah, that's where I'm at. I'm at 30 minutes. Um, I think he will start. And again, this isn't a knock on Malik Monk. And I know that Fox and Monk are probably going to play quite a bit together um, because they do have chemistry. And so I, I think it gives them like uh, it gives Mike Brown some intriguing, um, you know, options when he's switching, moving players in and out uh of the of the rotation you know like in game um but the thing i like about herder is exactly what you said um six foot seven he can defend multiple positions i think he can defend the one the two and the three um i like him more defending the two and the three more than i like him defending the one i think De'Aaron fox needs to defend his own position this year uh but i, I also think that herder like his defensive metrics were hurt by the fact that he played alongside Trey Young, who doesn't play any defense at all. And so you really had this situation where he was forced to defend all of these players. And and I don't think that will be the case this year. I think Fox will be improved as a defensive player. I don't think he'll be a top-tier defensive player, but I think he will improve. 
And I think you can more play Herter straight up as a two or when you slide him into the three. Uh, and, and I agree with you. I think he is the backup three at this point. And uh, that's just because you have so many options in the backcourt. And so I think that there's going to be times where we see, um, you know, again, the starting lineup with, with Fox, Herter, and Barnes. But I think you're going to see Fox, Monk, and, and Barnes, I mean, and, and Herter. I think you're going to see Davion and, uh, and Fox with Herter. Um, I think his ability to move around and play different positions is huge. And I'll also say this, um, he is a player who, like, if your your starting lineup is what we project, Fox, Herter, Barnes, Keegan Murray, and Sabonis, um, that kind of puts that kind of puts Herter as your fourth slash fifth option on the offensive end in the starting lineup. But that doesn't mean that he's not gonna see a, a big boost in his shot attempts. I think he's just one of those players that moves around the perimeter, finds open spots, is you know basically cocked and ready. He you know he's gonna shoot as soon as he catches it, and uh, as long as you're finding him in the in the flow of the offense, he's gonna be really really impactful. And uh, like I, I know when they traded for him, I called him sort of the poor man's Clay Thompson, and I'll stand by that. Like he's a really really good shooter. He probably can shoot the ball better than what we've seen in the last uh, in his last few years in Atlanta. Um, but I also think he's a solid defender. Is he a great defender? No, but he's a big shooting guard that knows his role and uh, is always ready to fire. And I, I think he can really be impactful for this team. And I, you know, I think there are certain nights that you you won't be able to take him off the court. Um, but then other nights, well, I think he is going to be right at the thirty minute per game mark uh and you know that's kind of, that's what i wrote today i thought he would be around the 30 minute per game mark um, I, I think he's such a smart player like he's such a perfect connective piece as alongside fox and sabonis like i think on both ends of the floor like he's not a phenomenal defender but i think he holds his own there um he's not a liability which i think is what you kind of, i mean obviously you'd want something better than that per, but for everything he brings on the offensive end where i think he does everything well very similar to a Harrison Barnes um that I, I think that those are just like the perfect type of complementary players you know 41.9 percent on catch and shoot threes him and Malik Monk actually had the exact same percentage when it came to catch and shoot threes the range is ridiculous it's a couple steps behind the three-point line and guys are closing out on that and he'll attack the closeouts not great at getting to the rim and finishing there but he has a really good in-between game in that mid-range that kind of still allows him to to punish guys that are closing out hard. So I'm really excited for Kevin Herter. Um, I I think the most ideal scenario, like I think there's a world where Kevin Herter's in most improved player conversations, just being able mm -hmm. to get more shots up um, compared to playing alongside a really ball-dominant guy like, like Trey Young. And I know that Fox and Sabonis are going to take the primary um, – are, are going to be your main usage guys. But I think that playing off of those two could really benefit Herter. And I, I'm really excited to see how he looks in Sacramento next year. Yeah. The, the crazy thing about his stats is he, he is an incredible, like every level, he's a three level scorer. Um, does he score a bunch at the rim? No, but he also never played with Demonis Sabonis and, or a big man that passed like Sabonis at all. So I'm excited to see what he looks like as a cutter. Um, and you know, he's a big guy. So if he cuts 
and he's being defended by a guard and he gets to near the rim, it's it's easy finish because he's a big, strong, strong guy. Kayvon. The one problem, yeah, the one problem I have with him, um, which is something that I will continue to harp on because it's something I harped on with Buddy Heald, he shoots .7 free throws per game. That's an embarrassment for a shooting guard to shoot .7 free throws per game. And I know, like, I think it was last year, the year before, maybe it was the year before, I think Buddy Heald shot zero free throws in, like, 33 of the 71 games he played in. Like, that can't happen, but Buddy Heald averages one free throw attempt per game more than Kevin Herter. And to me, that's just unacceptable. Like, learn how to draw contact, learn how to take a hit, and those are those are issues that will limit his overall scoring ceiling. So, like, if I'm looking at Herter, and, and I easily can come up with three points per game that I think he will get, he's probably going to average, like, 2.2, 2.3, 2.4 more three-point attempts per game than he did last year in Atlanta. Uh, because that's kind of going off of what Buddy Heald averaged. But, you know, we're looking at, uh, at you know, a guy who averaged 5.6 three-point attempts per game. That's nothing. That guy, he should at least be at eight and more like nine or ten per game just because he's a really, really good three-point shooter and he's going to have that opportunity in Sacramento. So I think I can get him up to 15 points per game without any, like, fudging with the numbers at all. It's just go ahead and shoot, like, 2.2 threes per game and he'll get there. Where he's going to take that next step where he's 17, 18 points a game is he has to get to the line. You know, he has to get to the line two or three times per game. And I know, again, the comparison to Clay Thompson, but there's there's been seasons where Clay Thompson averages around one free throw attempt per game. And it's because he gets a shot off so quick. Um, but, you know, Clay Thompson finds ways to score other than just a three point line. And Herder has that potential as well. I just think that, like, he's going to have to get to the line. That's, that's it. Like, you, you got to figure out how to get contact. I know the Kings brought in um, a guy. His name is Don. I can't remember his last name. And he is a consultant who was an NBA official for a long time. And uh, he comes in and works with the players on how to draw flat fouls, on what it is that refs are looking for, on how to, you know, have conversations with officials. Like, there's all kinds of things that Don talks to the players about. Um, but when it comes to Herder, like, he needs to have, like, really honest conversations if he's going to be around, if uh, Don is going to be there this year. He needs to have some really honest conversations about, look, man, like you got to get, you know, you got to get fouled on a three point attempt once every two games or so just to get that number up. And that's really the only way to, you got to get more involved and more physical and take more hits. And uh, like, hopefully that's something that Herder can do. Um, let's shift to Monk. Uh, you know, I, I think we both had kind of have the same view of Monk. Um, but what is it that you expect as far as minutes from him? Uh, when you consider, you know, again, like start add, adding up the numbers. Uh, if Herder's going to play, you know, 30 minutes and you only had 36 at the shooting guard spot after we get done with the two starters at, and with Mitchell and, and Fox, um, like, okay, six minutes. How many more minutes can you steal from the shooting, from the small forward spot? Like, where are you at with, with what you think Monk's going to do? Yeah, with adding all those overalls, I, I think that I think that there's a little less minutes for 
Davion at the shooting guard spot than than maybe you do, and I, I think most people do. I, I'm a little bit hesitant there. I guess I'm a little skeptic of Davion until I see that three point shot actually go down at a better rate. Um, but understand why there's reason to believe. Like Malik averaged 28 minutes per game last year with the Lakers. I mean, he was just the best shooter on their team for a team that desperately needed shooting. I, I think that's an unrealistic expectation, and like year prior to that i know a charlotte stint didn't go amazingly but 20 minutes the year uh before that and then you look at 1920 21.3 minutes per game i think you're talking closer to that compared to the 28 like i think that you're talking 24 minutes for malik monk like i think that's sort of the range that you have to talk and, he, and even that feels a little high like i could see a 22 being sort of where hmm. you're at with malik monk you know i, I think that it's going to be maybe a little bit of variance game to game because there's sometimes where shots are going down and you're going to want to keep him out there. Like you're just going to want to ride the hot hand and let him keep going. So I, I think that there will be a okay amount of variance game to game, depending on if the shots are going down. But I think we're talking about 22 to 24 minutes for Monk. Okay. Yeah. I think I had him like 25 to 27. Um, but even that, I really have a tough time. Like, And it's not because I, I don't like Malik Monk. It's that I'm looking at the overall numbers and like, okay, where are you going to put guys? And and again, like if, if we're talking like at a bare minimum, Fox playing 35 and Davion playing 25, that's 60. Uh, and you only got 96 minutes in the backcourt. So you got 36 minutes. You put Herder's 30 in there. You got six minutes left. And so it's really going to come down to how many minutes can you steal at the small forward spot. And I think that that, you know, if you're going to steal 20, you know, then that's putting you at like 26 minutes for Malik Monk. Um, if you're going to steal 18, then it's less. And that means, again, that, you know, Harrison Barnes is playing 30 minutes at the, at the small forward. Um, and that wouldn't have him at the power forward all that often. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think it's interesting. Like, I think it's going to be a, a, a really tough battle. And then it leads us to the question, like, like you talk about Keon Ellis, we talk about Sam Merrill, but Terrence Davis is in a battle for, like, whether he's in the rotation or not. And it's too bad because I think he is a quality player, and I think he showed last season that he can play the two and the three, uh, at, you know, and he was actually really good. The Kings were at their best for, like, the little short stint or he was our starting small forward. Um, that's that's when I thought that they were the most energetic and fun uh, team that they had last season, which wasn't a lot of fun, didn't have a lot, have a lot of energy. But that's a guy where, you, you know, you kind of look at what he was able to do there. I, I don't think he fits. Like, uh, I think in a perfect world that you would find a way to get him, you know, 15 to 18 minutes on the floor and, and like run a bunch of three-guard sets. But... I think you can run three guard sets, a bunch of them without him playing minutes. And it really does come down to injuries. And, and then it comes down to like Kent Bazemore or Terrence Davis, uh, Kent Bazemore, Terrence Davis, or Trey Lyles, Chemezi Metu. Like you start to quickly run out of minutes when you start moving this thing around, especially if they intend on playing, you know, like what are you going to do with uh, Rashawn Holmes? So 35 minutes for, for um Sabonis at the at the five but Rashawn Holmes if he's gonna play more than 13 minutes he's gotta play the four 
He's stealing minutes from Keegan, stealing minutes from Harrison Barnes. Like, I, it just, all of this seems like it's, uh, it leads to bad things for a couple of these players. There will be plenty of players in Sacramento who are just flat out not in the rotation early in the year. Yeah, and I think when it comes to just like flat looking at minute per game totals, a lot of these are obviously skewed by times when players are injured, like Davion's minute total last year of 27 is probably yeah. skewed a little bit, obviously from those last 15 or whatever games where he's playing 35 or however long that he's out there. So I still think you'll see Terrence Davis's number somewhere between like 12 to 15 at the end of the year, maybe even a little bit higher, but I think it is definitely injury assurance and same link monk doesn't have a shot going down it's like you're comfortable going to terrence davis and i think that terrence davis is a guy that i could see impressing enough that it's like okay we have to figure out how to get him out there um i don't know that i'm already at that point but i think that he could show that he's a solid defender who also hits his shots and and has an ability to put the ball on the floor and get to the rim as well so I think that there is a world where you have to figure out how to get, get Terrence Davis minutes, but going into the year, I think that's going to need to be proven rather than just given right away. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel bad for Terrence because, you know, again, I thought he was playing really well when he got injured. And injuries, you know, like you only get a certain amount of opportunities in the league. Uh, yeah, to your point, to uh, like, Davion Mitchell played in his final 33 games, he averaged 32 minutes per game. So that's where like his big push and even late in the year, you can even look at the, you know, there's a section of games where he ended up playing quite a, quite a bit once Fox was out, but you know, like the 30 to 35 minutes per game, um, type, type deal. Um, yeah, I, again, I I feel bad for Terrence because I I know that he uh, he's put in the work. He's been in Sacramento a ton. Yeah, over his last twelve games, Davion Mitchell averaged thirty nine minutes per game. So that twenty seven minute per game is completely skewed by that by that set of games, probably by like three minutes per game. Um, yeah, I would put him more around the twenty four twenty five before that injury. And yeah, you I take think those he, twelve out, and it's twenty five point five minutes per game. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, I think he's going to play a lot, though, this this season. Um, and, and again, like Terrence Davis, um, you know, I, I think it's one of the good things that we're seeing from this team right now is that, you know, we have the, the guys playing in Eurobasket. Um, but outside of that, a bunch of these guys are in Sacramento already. They're, you know, we saw them at the Kendrick Lamar concert. Um, we, we've seen pictures of these guys, like, in the gym already putting in time together um, spending time together, like off the court, those are, those are valuable, valuable things that are happening right now. And I'm kind of excited to see how that translates this year, especially, you know, like there is like having some sort of common goal and everybody being on the same page and everybody having an understanding of what this season means that does actually have a tremendous amount of value. And, um, so I, I'm kind of intrigued to see if the Kings can put it all together, um, because they haven't been able to for so long. So maybe this is one of those years where something goes right. Anything goes right. Is it different for these handful of guys to be working out at this time of year? Or I guess I think of like the Mo Harkless runs that were going on in LA last year. Is it kind of typical? No, I mean, at this point, like the first week of September, everyone, uh, most players are back. That's, that's typically what happens. But 
and we started to see like late August some of the players were back in sack, and that's good. Uh, Fox was back before we got to September. Um, you know, Davion's been here on and off all summer. Chim- uh, Chima uh, Moneki has been in Sacramento a ton. Uh, Rashawn Holmes has been in Sacramento a ton. So there are a bunch of guys that are here. Even when, if you go back to, uh, was it Mike Brown's introductory press conference where we looked around and, you know, Davion came in and sat down, but Terrence Davis and, and De'Aaron Fox and Rashawn Holmes all came in the room that day too. Uh, that's a good thing. That means that they were there. And I know that there's been at least two major like group get-togethers with this team during the summer where players have, have hung out. And I would say like like that's playing. And then I also believe that a lot of these guys were at De'Aaron Fox's wedding um, you know, last month. And so like they have spent some time together. And it's just about bonding, especially when you have so many new pieces, because a lot of this will depend on how quickly they bond, how quickly... Um, you know, Mike Brown is able to get his staff to kind of meld together and then have their defined roles and who's stepping in where and how all this stuff is going to like how you, you disseminate your information, like through which people and who is in charge of which players. So like Luke Laux is clearly going to be like De'Aaron Fox's guy, but there will be coaches that have like three players that they kind of like talk to and work with all the time. And uh, you got to start like breaking those things down. This coaching staff is huge. Uh, you know, again, how many new players? Like we've talked about, it, only three players are left f- uh, on this roster from when uh, Monty McNair took over, and we're entering the beginning of year three. I think this is right about when he got hired last uh, t- uh, 2021. Yeah, he's just been on the job like two years. It's pretty crazy. It's, uh, yeah, definitely crazy to think about. And I don't know, hopefully we're due for, maybe we're due for an extension at some point. We'll kind of see how <laughs> that goes. Um, yeah, I don't know. We, we've covered that enough, but it is a very weird scenario to me. I've checked in multiple times. Yeah, and I've talked about this on D'Lo and Casey a bunch of times as well. It's just a weird situation. It, it is. It's a very strange situation. Um, yeah, I'd like to say that, you know, they'll figure it out but at the same time like maybe they won't and you know i think the kings would be at a loss at this point because i think he's done a pretty good job of piecing this thing together and flipping everything around and rebuilding this thing on the fly uh through a pandemic through you know shortened schedules and weird stuff and you know some injuries and all that stuff it's been uh it's been an interesting two years even the off-court stuff over the last two years like there's plenty of stuff a coaching change um three coaches like money mcnair's on his third coach that's yeah. he didn't hire all of them but he's on his third coach i mean that's in itself a a crazy stat i've covered yeah. like 30 games james i'm about to be on my third coach <laughs> there you go yeah I, I think this is this is my ninth mike brown is my ninth head coach yeah covering this team in what will be 13 years crazy um, yeah okay uh do you have any uh factor caps for us I if you don't. don't off the top of my head. No, I think I got some user submit or listener submitted ones, but I don't have them in front of me. So I'll have them ready for next episode. Okay, cool. Uh, Sean should be back next week. Um, we're, we're just flying solo. Cause he again is at the Republic game out in uh, Orlando. Um, I am super excited. I'm hope- hopefully the, uh, the Sac Republic are going to, you know, have a good showing and it'd be amazing if they won. Uh, it'd be super exciting. So 
Um, that would be good for Sacramento. Major League Soccer, MLS would be great for Sacramento. Um, but winning a championship like this would also go a long way towards finding that whale that uh, that they need to step in to take this team to the next level and get them into uh, the MLS. Um, that would be super exciting. Yeah. Orlando's um, obviously shaking in their boots if they feel like they need to send somebody to scout it out. So, I guess, yes, yeah, really strange. I, I would just think that, like, aren't all the games that the Republic have played, aren't they all on YouTube? <laughs> uh, but then again, it is like lower level soccer. And so you're, you're like, what camera angles? Like, is there multiple camera angles? Like, so you're not really, it's not like you're watching an NFL game where there's 17 different camera views of every single play and you can watch and yeah, see tendency. So um, I get it. I just don't get uh, the cheating thing. That, that's not cool. Yeah. Uh, especially not leaving a closed practice. Like, what are you doing? That's weird. Um, you're just adding like this weird wrinkle that, that soccer is going to have to deal with afterwards. Um, okay. So uh, we do have the business of basketball. Um, I'm going to go with this. Um, Brendan, this is your first build up to, to training camp. Like what is it that, you're looking forward to that is going to happen like media day that you haven't been to a media day before you haven't been to like some of these things. What are you excited about? Well, media day, I'm probably going to ask a lot of fun questions, which I think is typically what it seems like happens, but just like, uh, I, I think I've been taking notes with a lot of the NFL, what looks like media days or these training camps. They're asking a lot of fun questions of like, who would you least want to date your sister and just random questions that I think are a lot of fun and, and lead to these funny answers and get a taste for different people's personalities and things like this. Brendan's um, going to be that guy. I am mm. probably going to be that guy. I'm not going to lie uh, to an extent on media day. But I, I think that what's really interesting to me going into this year is the difference between the chemistry and I guess like energy vibe around the team, because in my mind, that's going to be a big improvement from last year where I think there was this weird, like dark cloud in the room of buddy and Bagley. And I think Luke Walton could have fallen into that as well of just kind of counting down the day until those guys are gone. So I'm going to be curious to try to get a read for the, the vibe around the team and see how different that is. And maybe the difference that that makes. What are you kind of looking for this year with being more experienced? What feels different going into this year? Yeah, I think I think I, I want to see how Mike Brown's energy, like how it's received. Because I, I think that like there's, he's got such a positivity to him. Um, and like, how does that go over? And how does it go over when, things go bad like is he is he a guy who's going to call players i want to see how he handles that like is he a player is he a coach that's going to call players out by name in the press is he going to protect his players like what kind of coach is he going to be for us to deal with um it's always for me like their new case studies every time like every single coach is different um every personality is totally different you got a ton a ton of interesting like moving pieces with this team i want to see like how tough the competition is for these last roster spots um because i think that they're uh the roster is pretty tough to break into 
but the Kings have given a lot of guaranteed money. Uh, I just want to see if like this is the moment where like some of these guys like like take their careers serious. Not that they haven't in the past, but take them like the wins and losses, um, and they accept the fact that it's on them, and that the only way to get out of this thing is to you know fight with the guys you got. Um, and so I, I'm kind of intrigued by a lot of like moving pieces as far as like showing up, like it's, it's like back to school and I've done it so many times that, you know, it's kind of lost its luster a little bit. Um, but, uh, but there should be a lot of positivity, um, walking into this season and I want to see how long they can hold on to that. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, and hopefully the start is, better than I'm expecting, to be honest, because I'm kind of thinking that I wouldn't be surprised to see, I guess, growing pains or just an adjustment period, getting used to a new system and so many new players, but the Kings don't exactly have a lot of uh, wiggle room or room for variance when it comes to the the play-in race and what their goals are for this season. So I think the start is going to tell me a lot about what my expectations are for this year. Yeah, that's interesting. And I'll say this too, like I know Sean has brought this up a couple of times and um, that, you know, there is always an adjustment period when it comes to the coach and like a learning curve and all that stuff. But I also feel like the Kings are starting from a better place than some of the other teams that they're surrounded by. So um, like Mike Brown is a much more experienced coach than Darvin Ham, uh, who's coaching the Lakers this year. And Chauncey Billups like he's defend the like the jury's still out on him if he's a coach or not, and so I, if I'm the Kings, I, I'm okay with the fact that I know that those are two teams I'm going to compete with, and I'll take Mike Brown over Chauncey Billups or Darvin Ham at this point in their careers any day of the week, and so I, I think if you start looking around and start piecing together some of these things, you know, again, New Orleans has a bunch of talent, but. Uh, Willie Green was able to do some interesting stuff in the second half. He also started off slow. There is no starting off slow. You, you're not going to be able to start off slow this season, especially with the teams that are around you. And, you know, is is the Rudy Gobert experiment going to work out in Minnesota? So, like, there are so many different things that I think that um, the Kings just kind of, like, they know who they are. They're walking in with, uh, you know, two major cogs and a bunch of shooters and like, how do they grow from here and how do they get better? And, um, you know, hopefully it's a, it's a positive thing going forward. Yeah. It'll be uh, interesting to see for sure. I'm optimistic that at very least it's going to be entertaining and watchable basketball more nights than not. And I don't think that that could be said last year and probably a handful of years prior. So if nothing else, that's a positive in my mind. That's very true. Um, okay. Brendan, do you have any final thoughts? Um, I don't think I do. I guess a shameless plug for my Twitch streams. I've been really enjoying doing those. Oh, yeah. So if anybody wants to check that out, I'll probably be watching the final Sabonis game that he just played again, Bezenkov games. I got to catch up on Alex Len and plan on doing it throughout the year. So those have been fun, but uh, that's all I really got, James. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Brendan's been doing a lot of work. Uh, is it the, what, what is the Twitch handle that you're using? It's twitch.tv slash Brendan NBA. Oh, okay. Uh, sweet. And you're running them on Twitter as well? Uh, they, I'm tweeting them out on Twitter, but I guess okay. they, no, no, they are only going up on Twitch at the moment. There's a lot of copyright stuff that Twitch is the only one that doesn't seem to have any issues. So. Okay. 
That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. but I, I think it's cool. I think it's cool you're doing something different, and uh, I totally suggest it uh, for those of you who are out there who are looking for some escapism, some summer basketball, uh, like in the dog days. Um, we have not, uh, let's see, today is uh, September 7th. We do not have a um, happy hour scheduled yet, but uh, I hope to have another happy hour before we get to training camp. Um, and those are for premium subscribers to the King's Beat only. Uh, they're a blast. Last month's Pete uh, Youngman uh, happy hour was spectacular. Absolutely love Pete um, and something that you just can't get in anywhere else at all. Um, so I'm going to work uh, over the next couple of days to try to find a guest for later this month, and hopefully that works out. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're going to keep rolling here at the King's Beat, uh, start ramping up. Again, you're going to see more position profiles, more strengths and weaknesses of this team heading into uh, training camp and all that stuff. Um, and, you know, you never know. Maybe there is a, another trade. We, we've had sort of the big damn break uh, when it comes to Donovan Mitchell, now what happens from there? Um, do the Kings get involved in something else here? Do they feel comfortable enough that this is a team that they're going to walk into the season with? we got all kinds of questions still need to be answered. Um, so uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the Kings Beat Podcast. Make sure to give us a thumbs up. Make sure to uh, subscribe to the channel. Make sure to give us a rating and review if you're listening to the podcast on Apple or Spotify or anywhere else that you're getting your podcasts. Um, but uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, so for Brendan Nunez from the Kings Pulse podcast <laughs> and uh, myself, James Ham, uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll see Sean next week back on the pod, and uh, we'll we'll see you guys uh, probably Tuesday, Wednesday again. So thanks go for Republic. Us. Go Republic. Headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com